appreciate the music team and the work they put into that and leading us in worship. It's great to gather here in worship. You know, I saw an online forum dealing with religious beliefs that asked this question. Which Christian denomination does not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? And this is just a person, you know, submitting that question to this forum. And then there were answers to that, but I want to read you one person's response to this question. Which denomination does not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ? He said... It is not a matter of which sects do not believe. There are tens of millions of Christians that have a more enlightened set of beliefs. And this happens to be one of them, meaning himself. And then here's what he said. <clears throat> Other variations in belief include the probability that there is no hell, no Adam and Eve, no Noah, no Jewish captivity in Egypt, no prescription against homosexuality, that Mary was not a virgin, that Jesus was actually a normal human and perhaps had children, and that sin does not exist, nor Satan, nor a final judgment, and there will not be a second coming. And he says, it is simply amazing the number of enlightened Christians these days. Now, I think it's interesting that this person boldly rejects so many of the beliefs that make up Christianity. I mean, I, I can't hardly think of any more. <laughs> Yet, continues to call himself a Christian. And not only himself, but he said that there are tens of millions of Christians who believe like this. Who are enlightened too enlightened to accept all of those old foundational Christian beliefs. Now let's say that you were to reject the tenets of, of some belief. Let's say that you were to reject the tenets of racism. And you would say you don't hold to racist beliefs. You don't prescribe to racism. Would you then go on to say something like, now, there are tens of millions of us racists who don't believe in the superiority of whites. Who don't believe that race makes a person better or worse than another person. You wouldn't say it that way, would you? You wouldn't even refer to yourself as a racist at all if you didn't believe in racism. So why is it that people still want to call themselves Christians when they reject so many of, Christian, of the Christian's beliefs, reject so much of the Christianity doctrine, why do they still include themselves in the, in the Christian camp, so to speak? There must be something they like about Christianity in order to keep using the name or, or keep considering themselves part of that faith. Because they would never use the title racist or fascist or, you know, anything like that. They would just claim to reject those views outright, outright with no question about it. 
they would just say, no, I'm not that. I don't believe in anything they believe. But there's something peculiar to Christianity that leads a person to claim that name even though they reject all the beliefs. It may be that, you know, Christian to them means I'm a nice person or I'm a kind person or I'm a moral person I'm one who loves people. I don't hurt animals. You know, whatever. But you know what I've also noticed is that people, they like Jesus as a person, even though they don't know really very much about him. They just kind of, they kind of like Jesus. And in fact, different religious groups that hold no Christian doctrine will claim Jesus as one who's made it through their program. You know, Jesus has been self-actualized to the, to the nth degree. Jesus is one who's been reincarnated and finally made it to the end. I refer to that as hijacking Jesus to promote their own religious or belief system. And, you know, Eastern religions, they venerate Jesus. And Islam... He's a, he's a holy saint in Islam. But here's the problem. People want Jesus in their camp. And they will often use him to bring others into their group as part of, you know, how they explain their, their faith. But then they may end up taking others down with them as they try to convince them to climb aboard their ship. So what is our defense against these types of people? How can we prevent from being taken in to those who use words and really don't mean what they say? Or how can we help someone else who's listening to somebody and they're wondering, well, you know, they say they like Jesus Christ. And so many people are taken in by that, aren't they? Or maybe even stop someone who might try to come to the church and gather some followers to a different way. Well, that's what we're going to be dealing with in our Bible passage this morning. In the New Testament book of Titus, the Apostle Paul is telling Titus how to choose the right kind of people for church leadership. And then he first names some areas that they need to be you know, careful about in their, in their behavior, in their life, because of the reputation he says they need to be blameless, which means there's no strong accusation against them. need to be faithful to their wife. Their children can't be wild and disobedient. Then he moves into some character issues beyond a reputation. He, they shouldn't be overbearing, quick-tempered, given to drunkenness. They shouldn't be violent, dishonest. But they should be hospitable, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And then he gets into this area of dealing with people who would try to bring harmful messages into the church. What do you do when someone wants to bring their own brand of Christianity into your church? How do you prevent that? A lot of churches haven't prevented that. A lot of bad doctrine has gotten into churches and denominations. How do you stop it if it just kind of wants to slip in or comes in unawares? Well, that's what Paul's going to write to Titus about, how to stop that. So 
If you look here at Titus chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> here's, he's saying, here's what a church leader, an elder. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And that has the idea of add the truth as it has been passed down from the apostles. You know, as it has come down. So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, which means faithful teaching, and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group, which would be the Jews, <clears throat> who try to convince people. Paul says... The elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Now that would be the scriptures and the message of Christ being the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, Savior of the world. They must hold firmly to those truths and more truths, the tr truths of the Old Testament scriptures too. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been passed down. He's telling the apostles, he's telling them to stick with the apostles' message. Don't stray from that message. Don't take the Bible's message of salvation or its biblical values and try to reshape them in order to fit your current society. Don't try to take the Bible's message, clear message, and try to make it fit into your cultural practices. Holding on to biblical values will sometimes, and sometimes, many times, put us at odds with our culture, depending on the culture. When we talk about marriage, or relationships with the opposite sex, or sexual identity, or modesty, or honesty, or respectfulness, or submission to authority, or protecting the preborn, or whether we should use violence as a means... <clears throat> you know, to solve our problems. In all of these areas and more, we can be on the opposite side of the way our society is moving. And we find ourselves on the opposite side as the way society is moving. And Paul says, we must hold firmly to the trustworthy message. Now, that response I read earlier from the guy who said tens of millions of Christians are too enlightened to hold to those old Christian beliefs... They don't seem to be holding firmly to any part of the trustworthy message. In fact, they seem to be very, very willing to selling off the whole Christian faith at just about every term, yet keeping the name. But look what Paul says is the reason the church is to do this. Must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been passed down, taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. <clears throat> Encouraging the right way and stopping the wrong way. Paul is telling Titus to tell the church leaders to encourage their people by teaching sound doctrine, the doctrine that's been passed down, the faithful teachings, and to refute those who would bring in unsound doctrine. 
Those who teach are to remain true to the word of God, true to the message of the apostles in the early church. And that's what we have, right? And in our society, in our current American culture, and in others like ours, we have such easy access to the scriptures, like unbelievable access. And there are people who, you know, are in persecuted countries, and somebody gets a hold of a Bible, and they, you know, tear pages out and give one to each person. And some people never have a Bible. And there are people that are trying to get them Bibles. In our day, we have such a great advantage. We have the apostles teaching in written form. And God has preserved the apostles' teachings for us and the Old Testament. So we can continually study it and refer to it. And we can have it as a daily feed to us so that we can let it soak in and become a part of us and understand it and learn it and then check it against what we may hear that we don't think might be right. But we have to know what the Bible is all about, don't we? We can't just read a verse and then adapt it to our our original thoughts. We can't just mix it in with what we already believe and change it so that it comes more palatable. We have to make certain no one comes in with evil motives or with ulterior motives. Maybe they don't think it's evil. That no one comes in with a false teaching and tries to pass it off as something scriptural. Verse 10 again. In Paul's case, where he was talking about on the island of Crete, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk, that's idle talk, and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. This church was being threatened, or these churches were being threatened by Judaizers. And these were people who had taken on the the Jewish faith and all the customs and now that Christianity has come in they're trying to say you can't be a real Christian unless you go through the Jewish customs you have to become a Jew first because that's what happened before Christ is that people who wanted to to follow God in the true way had to, to be a proselyte to Judaism now people were coming in and trying to make people get circumcised or, or follow parts of the Jewish rituals in order, they said, to be saved. But that's no longer true. But the problem wasn't just that the Judaizers were, were demanding that they be circumcised. Paul says they were rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They had an agenda. They weren't doing it out of love for God or the people. They were doing it because they wanted something themselves. And in fact, look at these next few verses. Paul says, They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. People would get money for going around and teaching or becoming a leader in the church. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. 
Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This was a Crete who said that. A kind of a respected one. <clears throat> Actually, they have the name Ep- Epimenides, which is, was his name. <clears throat> it, it's all recorded. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. These people were coming into the church and basically trying to hijack it. They were coming in with selfish motives and promoting teachings that were disruptive, upsetting whole families, households, going against the Word of God, and replacing the Word of God with their own rules. It's this thing of trying to get control, and here they were going after money also. In this case, they were telling the people they had to be circumcised. They had to follow the way that they did it, or their rules. Now, what would happen to the Apostle Paul was that <clears throat> he, this, this happened in his ministry, throughout his ministry. He would travel to a city, and he was in the area of modern-day Turkey and Greece and, and that area there. He would travel to a city, and he would preach the gospel, And eventually, through hard work, he would uh, work days making tents and preach at night. And eventually, through hard work, he would get a church going. Maybe not in every place, but many places he did. And then he would work with that church. And he would bring it to birth and nurture it and try to stabilize it. And making disciples, uh, grounding them in the truth. He would work hard and stay there for months. And then when he would move on, depending upon, you know, when they were ready, there would be people like these Cretans, they would come in to this group that's already been set up and basically try to take over. They're kind of like blue jays who come in and, you know, and chase the birds out and take over these nests. And they bring in their own rules, establishing themselves as qualified teachers, and then set themselves up to receive an income or offerings, or whatever. Basically, they're coming in and setting up their own kingdom without doing any of the work. And some people might view a church as a group of sitting ducks. Because we see people today, they set up their own little kingdoms in the name of Christ, don't we? And they take some words out of the Bible, and they use them, but they use them in a whole different way. And they use them to exalt themselves. And some become quite popular, don't they? And some are masters of manipulation. And maybe they're good orators. Maybe they're people that can really relate to people, but often in a false way. It's that bad part of human nature, isn't it? Fallen human nature. And we hear their stories. We hear their stories in the news. So what is the answer to keeping people from hijacking or disrupting the church? Well, it's holding firmly to the trustworthy message, isn't it? Holding firmly to the trustworthy message. Thousands of years old, it's still completely true. Holding firmly to the trustworthy message. 
and to think that we have it in such abundance. It's being in the Word of God and knowing the Word of God. Because, you know, some teachings can sound good on the surface, especially if the person that's coming in is likable, talented, maybe persuasive, gifted in speaking. They may be able to build a coalition through friendly behavior. You know, they come in and they're not being real. They're being phony. People aren't recognizing what they're doing. So many times people are taken in by people and you look at it and you think, how could they have ever believed that? That's what, that's what it is. That's the society we're living in. What is our protection? Holding firmly to the trustworthy message. Holding firmly to sound doctrine. Faithful teaching. Not everything that sounds good, because so much that sounds good at the outset turns out to be not good in the end. Even when tens of millions of Christians have been enlightened to believe it, it may be destructive. Holding firmly to the faithful teaching. We must allow the Word of God to become the major part of our lives. So many of you out there know that and are doing that, but we just have to keep saying it, don't we? The Word of God has to be the major part of our lives. We must be in it. We must be walking in it. We must be living in it. It becomes our guiding light. It becomes our protection against being hurt. There are so many ways now that we can get the Word of God, <clears throat> you know, through podcasts or through recordings or, you know, you can be doing it while you're working or whatever. But we have to get the Word of God into our lives. It becomes our protection against being hurt. And then we have to guard against being led astray. I have seen so many people falling for something bad because the person was a likable person, persuasive person, even somebody who would come in helping at the outset like these people did. But then on down the road, they find out they've walked into a trap. And it could even be a bad marriage where a person walks into a trap. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message. (laughs) No matter who wants to steer you into another direction, hold firmly to the trustworthy message. God's word has been around for thousands of years. It saves, it sanctifies, it protects, it helps us make good decisions. It, It just takes us in the right direction. And it's our choice. And then Paul gives this final warning so that these young believers can can stay safe, 15 and 16. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. He's kind of alluding to, to food and 
I mean, he's just using that kind of a food metaphor there. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. So, <clears throat> you know, to the pure, to those who really are trying to please God and do what God wants and listening to his word and living by his spirit and that, you know, these things can be pure and they can be f with good attitudes and good motives. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. They can take those same exact words and use them in a deceiving way, you know, and trying to do, trying to exalt themselves or trying to get money or whatever. Their minds and consciences are corrupted. It's kind of like the well is poisoned, right? They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. He's talking about selfish people coming into the church with their own agenda. And they aren't being honest. They use God in order to get control of others. And they may even call themselves Christians, along with those tens of millions of others. But aren't, they aren't being honest. They're out to win people over for their own hidden purposes. And they see people as targets to get them what they want. Because to them, nothing is pure. Not the name of Christ, not Bible verses, their claims to follow God. Nothing is pure. And we see that even now <clears throat> in the world of American politics, don't we? We see people using biblical words, and they're people who have no biblical knowledge or interest in the Bible. But they use them because it's just a part of our culture. You know, people know the Bible a little bit in our culture, or they've known it growing up or something. And you think, well, how dare they? Well, to the corrupt, nothing is pure. They may even use a Bible verse to promote something totally against the Bible. And people will fall for it. We have to hold firmly to the trustworthy message, to the faithful teaching, the one that leads to eternal life. Then we won't be taken in. Then we won't be played for a fool. Then we can stay clearly on the path to life. And we can help others along that way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how much information it gives us and warning it gives us and teaching it gives us. And we thank you that we have it down through all these millennia and that you've protected it. And Lord, <clears throat> we pray that we can use it and we can use it to keep our church uh, from being attacked in this way and that we can help others who fall for wrong teachings, who fall for wrong people. And Lord, may, may we be a help to each other and to the church at large. And may we just continue to walk with you and love you with all of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.